Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. The scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke, chapter 11. Verses 1 through 4. I will read the first verse and after you join it with me on the second verse and continue with me every other verse. That's Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. We admire and, and, and love the way that things are phrased in the Bible. We ask your blessing be upon the pastor as he delivers his message. We ask this in the Lord Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, today we're going to begin a study on the model prayer. I was initially going to try to cover everything in these uh, four verses this morning, but then I realized I'd be keeping you all here for two hours. Uh, so we're going to spread this out over, I, I, I think, at least four weeks at this point. Uh, we're going to spend on these few verses. This text is a familiar one. It's sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, although really it's not his prayer. Uh, Jesus doesn't have to pray to have his sins forgiven, for instance. This is our prayer. This is the prayer that he gave to us as a model. Now, this is a prayer for Christians to know how we ought to pray. Now, just because it's a model of prayer doesn't mean we ought to pray it word for word. That isn't the point. Uh, never in all the prayers of the Bible is this repeated verbatim as though it were some sort of formula that we're supposed to recite. Uh, rather, this is an example of the types of things we should pray. A model prayer that is, uh, it's not meant to be necessarily a template uh, for every time that we pray, as though we need to pray for all of these things whenever we pray. If you read the Bible and just note the various places in Scripture where prayers are given, you'll find there's no formula. Uh, there's no specific phrases, no certain order. I know some people kind of act like, well, you need to start with adoration or start with confession and move throughout this formula. Well, in the Bible, uh, there's all sorts of different prayers. And sometimes they start with this and sometimes they start with something else. And, uh, and so to, to try to, to force all of our prayers to fit a specific pattern, I think, uh, goes beyond what God intended. But Jesus gives here some broad categories of the types of things that should make up our prayer. I want to start just by reading the text uh, to get our minds around the whole thing of it. So uh, Luke 11, starting verse 1, says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It's a simple prayer. It's one you're likely familiar with, and as I just read it, you might have wanted to throw in a few extra phrases, uh, like, what about uh, our Father who art in heaven? What about uh, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven? What about deliver us from evil? Those are some 
phrases that are uh, familiar to us in this prayer. What, what we're remembering, most of us are more familiar with Matthew's version. Uh, Luke's version is a little bit, it's not as full as Matthew's. Matthew's version, I'll read this, for, uh, verse chapter 6 of Matthew. says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does that feel better? I know some of you, as, as we were reading, you were wanting to say those extra phrases. Well, you're remembering Matthew's version. Uh, Luke's, Luke's is, a, is a little bit shorter. Now, this is a, a different occasion. Matthew's account of the model prayer uh, is months earlier than our text in Luke. So Jesus likely repeat, repeated this teaching on prayer many times. Uh, no doubt Jesus was asked by many people, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And so this would be uh, his example, something that he would give uh, regularly. And by the way, it should be a clue to us that it's not given word for word the same in both Gospels, that we aren't supposed to re just repeat it verbatim. That's not the point. Now, just reading through the prayer, I wonder if you have some questions. I've realized uh, over the last year or so of preaching here that uh, my sermon length is correlated to my level of interest and curiosity on the text. And uh, this particular text, I had a lot of questions about. As I, as I approached it this week, I had a lot of questions about prayer in general and, and some questions about this particular model prayer in particular. And I wrote down a few of these questions that I'm going to try to answer over these next several weeks. Number one, why do we pray if God knows everything? God knows what we need before we ask him. So why do we have to ask him? If God knows what's best for us and God knows what we need, why is it that he, he wants us to, to ask him for things? Number two, if God always does what is best and he is unchangeable, the doctrine of immutability as we call it, why do we need to pray that he do anything? If God always does what's right, shouldn't we just trust that God will do the right thing and let him do what he wants to do? Me asking God to do something seems to imply that either I can change God and get him to do what he wasn't going to do, or that I can inform God and let him uh, give him my advice about something he hadn't thought of before. And obviously both of those are wrong. So why do we pray? What is the purpose of asking God to do something if God always does what is right? Question: A third question I had, why does Jesus say in this particular prayer, say this when you pray? And never in the New Testament does anybody pray this. In what sense is this supposed to be a model prayer if uh, not, you know, in the, in the, even in the apostles in the, in the book of Acts or any of the New Testament letters, this prayer is not repeated. Even this formula, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where this formula is repeated. So what did he mean that we're supposed to pray this? A fourth question I had, why are we praying that God's kingdom would come? Isn't that up to God? Isn't that up to God to bring his kingdom? Why are we praying and asking God uh, to do something that is, that is up to him and up to his timetable? The fifth question I had, why, why are we to pray that God would forgive our sins? This is something I've been wondering about for a long time. I thought our sins were forgiven when we got saved. Uh, the New Testament teaches that when you repent and believe the gospel, when you become a Christian, your sins, your past, present, and future sins are wiped out. They are forgiven. So then why are we asking for forgiveness for what's already been forgiven? And if it hasn't been forgiven, if somehow my asking for forgiveness uh, causes me to be forgiven, then... What happens if we sin right before we die? Now, let's say I do something wrong. I say an unkind word to my wife as I'm walking out to my car, and then I get hit by a bus and die. Am I headed for hell because I didn't have time to pray and ask for forgiveness? Is that sin uh, not forgiven because I didn't pray? 
The sixth question I had, why does it say, forgive us as we forgive others? Does that mean if we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us? That's a scary thought. Are we earning forgiveness by forgiving others? Question number seven, why are we asking God not to lead us into temptation? Does God have a habit of doing that? Why are we asking God not to lead us into sin? Is this something that he might do leading us into temptation? Those were some of the questions that I had uh, when I began to study this week. Now you may have a better idea why it's going to take me four weeks to work through this. I do believe we are supposed to pray this prayer. Let me tackle that one first. Not necessarily word for word, as I said, though I don't think that's a wrong thing to do. This is a prayer that Jesus says we are to pray. He says, when you pray, say this. This is a prayer that should be a part of our lives. I think too many of us read the model prayer and ignore the fact that Jesus said, pray this. Uh, This is a command. This is not a suggestion. He says, this is something I want you to do. Now, I don't think we need to make this the only prayer that we pray again in the New Testament. Uh, People pray and they they don't follow this exact formula. So I don't think this needs to be every time you pray, this is what you're supposed to say. Uh, However, we are at least to pray this sometimes. This prayer should be a regular part of our life. And I think there's a clue in the prayer itself as to how often we should do this. Uh, If you look down, I think it's verse 3 where it says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. Meaning, this is a daily prayer. That every day we are to pray this model prayer. We as Christians are to pray this every day. And I want to challenge you, as we work through the text over these next several weeks, make this a part of your life, especially a part of your daily routine. If I could encourage you in the morning when you first wake up, make this, make this your prayer to God. Make this a habit of your life, that every morning you begin your day by asking God for these things. If not these exact words, at least pray for the things listed here in the model prayer. Before we jump into the text, I want to give you One of the main takeaways that I have about prayer from this, and that is that prayer is not about you. Prayer is about God. There are things we get wrong about prayer, but one of the most common things I think we get wrong is we think of prayer as getting God to do what we want. But this prayer is not about getting God to do our will, but rather getting us to do God's will. That will become clear as we look more deeply at this, but I'm going to keep pounding that over and over these next several weeks. A prayer is not about, it's not a genie in a bottle uh, where you get three wishes and you get to ask God to do whatever you want him to do. That is not the purpose of prayer. And yet that is, for so many of us, what we think of it. We're going to walk through this now, uh, phrase by phrase, and I'm going to jump back and forth between Matthew and Luke's uh, because I do think Matthew's gospel helps to fill in the gaps in Luke. So starting in verse 1 of Luke 11 says, Now Jesus was teaching in a certain place. I'm sorry, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Now, these were religious men, the disciples of Jesus. They had grown up attending the synagogue, and thus they'd heard many prayers. Uh, Why then are they asking Jesus to teach them how to pray? As you read the Gospels, I think you begin to realize that Jesus turned upside down the religious norms of his day. Uh, Jesus did things radically different than the religious leaders of, of his day. We know that Jesus' teaching was very different than other teachers in Judaism at the time. For instance, in Mark 1.22, the people that were listening to Jesus teach, it says they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus was very different in the way that he taught than the religious crowd of his, of his time. Not only was his teaching different, we also noticed that his practices were different, uh, very different than the religious leaders. In fact, 
Uh, in particular, Jesus' keeping of the Sabbath, and this caused all sorts of controversy. It was scandalous to the Pharisees. Because Jesus, he, he did observe the Sabbath. He took a day off of work and uh, dedicated that day to the Lord, but he did not follow their extra rules. He did not follow their traditions that they had added to Scripture. They had all sorts of rules about uh, what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath, and Jesus did not feel obligated to keep those. Mark 7, verse 1, gives us a good account of this. It says, Now when the Pharisees were gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus was very different, is my point, than the fastidious religious crowd of his day. His teaching was different. His observance of uh, religious practices were very different. And so it should come to, as no surprise to us that his prayers were different as well. And, and the, these disciples of Christ, they, they recognized this. They saw that Jesus prayed in a way that was very different than the religious leaders. And so they asked him to teach them. Teach us how to pray the way you do. Now, often before you teach someone how to, how to do something, you need to teach them first how not to do it. I remember as a, a little boy, I was probably around 12 years old, my dad taught me how to use a torch. Um, my dad owned a, a garbage business, and so he had some metal stuff that he needed to cut up. And, uh, and so he gave me a, a little hydrogen torch and taught me how to use it. And of course, as a boy, what could be better? I'm, I'm cutting big hunks of metal with fire. Uh, so this was just very exciting. But uh, before he taught me how to use it, he first taught me how not to use it. And there was a, a long process that I, I was not too thrilled about it. I was ready to, to play with fire. Uh, but my dad was very careful to tell me, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't hold it this way. I'll always have your gloves and glasses on. All of these different things uh, before you ever even started to use it. And that's what Jesus does with prayer. The model prayer in Matthew's gospel begins with a corrective on how not to pray. So Matthew 6 verse 5 says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen of others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. So the religious people of Jesus' day, they prayed in order to be seen by others. You remember the, the story Jesus told of the Pharisee and the publican where he's standing in the temple and he's uh, praying loudly and let, letting everybody know what a great person he was. And Jesus said, don't do that. Don't pray publicly uh, out in front of everybody to be uh, impressive basically to those around you. Instead, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So that's the first correction. Uh, pray privately to God. Don't pray publicly to impress people. No, go in your room where nobody sees you and pray. And then the second corrective, verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You don't need to, in other words, the Gentiles, they would pray 
by just saying a bunch of things. You, you ever feel like uh, I need to pray for 30 minutes in order for it to count? Uh, some of us get that mindset that we just got to drag this out and uh, come up with as much as we can think of to pray. No, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't heap up empty phrases. God knows what you need before you ask. And so verse nine, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So you see in that text, before teaching them how to pray, Jesus taught them how not to pray. Don't pray like the religious people. Don't, don't pray these long, eloquent, impressive prayers. But instead, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he gave them a very simple model. Now, one thing to notice about the model prayer is it's short. <laughs> it's not a long, drawn-out, eloquent prayer. It's a very short, concise, simple prayer. And that's the way Jesus taught them to pray. Luke 11, verse 2, back to our text, it says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And that's as far as we're going to get today. We're going to get through, Father, hallowed be your name, those five words. Notice first that the prayer is to be made to our Father, or as Matthew says, our Father in heaven. And that sounds very normal to us, to pray to our Father. But it was a radical idea to the Jews of Jesus' day. Nobody called God Father. That was not a thing that was done. You read the Old Testament, nowhere does somebody call out to God and say, Our Father. Uh, such a thing was considered to be blasphemous. But Jesus did this regularly. John 5.18 says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, they were trying to kill Jesus for this. They, they hated the fact, breaking the Sabbath was one thing, that ticked them off. But to call God your Father, I mean, how audacious. They, they could not stand that he was doing this, and so they were seeking to kill him. Now, uh, one might think, uh, maybe Jesus should stop doing this. Uh, maybe he should stop calling God Father if this is going to uh, make these people so offended. But did that stop him? Well, check out the next few verses. So Jesus said to them, after them getting angry about him calling God Father, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So the Jews are upset. They're getting offended that Jesus is calling God his Father. And so in the next five verses, seven times, Jesus refers to God as his Father. He's pounding this in that, yes, God is my Father. In John 10, he went as far even to say, I and the Father are one. And this, of course, set them off even more. This was blasphemous. To call God your father was to blaspheme, unless God really was your father. And that's the point Jesus makes in verse 36 in response to this charge of blasphemy. He says, Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Calling God your Father was indeed a bold claim, and Jesus did not back down from it. 
when they pressed him and said, don't you realize what you're saying? Don't you realize how blasphemous it is to call God your father? He said, yes, I do get it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that God is indeed my father. Now ask yourself, do the miracles and the signs and the wonders that I'm doing maybe lend some credibility to the claim that I'm making? God was Jesus' father. He is Jesus' father. And that was evidenced, first of all, by the fact that he was born of a virgin. And then by the many miracles that Jesus performed throughout his ministry. And finally, by the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. These were all proofs of the fact that God was indeed Jesus' Father. And Jesus was the only Son of the Father. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So yes, it was a radical claim that Jesus was making that God is my father. But that leads to a question, why should we address God as father? I mean, that verse we just read says that the only son of the father is Jesus. So why does Jesus tell us, well, you can call God father. You can address God as your father. Galatians 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. One of the greatest aspects of becoming a Christian is that you are adopted into the family of God. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for your sins. And by repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ's death on the cross to purchase your redemption, you can be adopted by God. And so not only was God Jesus' father in a real sense, but he's our father in an adopted sense. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, of course, is that familiar Aramaic word for dad. It's a very close familial relationship. God is your Abba if you're a follower of Jesus. Not only does God forgive your sins and give you eternal life when you turn to Him in faith, but He adopts you as His child. As John wrote in his epistle, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And there's not much of a better picture of love than adoption. You weren't a child of God by nature. God didn't owe you anything. He chose you. He chose you to be his. He adopted you. And now you can come to God in prayer and say, Father. This is an important point before we get back to the model prayer. Only those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ are God's children. Galatians 3 says, For in Christ Jesus... You are sons of God through faith. It is by placing your faith in Jesus' work on the cross that you become an adopted son and daughter of God. And one of the greatest aspects of God being your father is that this gives you access to him. You can talk to God boldly because he's your Abba. You have that relationship. Maybe you've seen the famous picture of JFK uh, sitting in the Oval Office and his son is underneath the desk. That's the, that's the relationship that we have to God. Not anybody can just waltz into the Oval Office and, uh, and spend time with the president, but you can if you're his son. And this little child has that, that access to his father because of that relationship. And what qualifies you to enter the throne room of God and talk to him freely is the fact that he's adopted you as his child. So back to our text, verse 2. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, this is a part of the prayer that I must admit I misread for years. I always thought that this was adoration, that this was saying, God, your name is hallowed. That's not what it says. It says, hallowed be your name. 
He doesn't say your name is hallowed. Rather, he tells us, pray that the Father's name would be hallowed. It isn't a statement of fact. It's a request. In fact, it's almost a demand. Hallow your name. In Greek, it's a third-person imperative. This is the same as when Peter says on the day of Pentecost, repent. It's that kind of a thing. A God, hallow your name. Cause your name to be hallowed. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and just guess that probably no one in this room uh, used the word hallow this week. Maybe you did, uh, but my guess is probably not. This is not a word that comes up in our vocabulary very often. This is one of those old English words that even the modern translators of the Bible uh, typically keep here because it's, it's just such a traditional part of this model prayer. It would sound weird if it said anything other than hallowed be your name. Uh, but what does the word hallowed mean? What does it mean for someone's name to be hallowed? Well, at the root of it, the word hallow means holy or sanctified. May your name be holy. We are praying that God's reputation would be sanctified. Another way of saying it, maybe that would be more understandable, is we're praying that God would be glorified, that his reputation would be exalted. You're praying for God's name to be hallowed. I have an illustration here. Uh, It won't work for everybody, because I know some of you are not familiar with this, but I'm hoping a few of you will catch it. Uh, In the 1970s and 80s, a movie trilogy came out that changed the cinematic universe forever, and uh, way ahead of its time in terms of special effects, very good acting. It was, it was just magnificent. Of course, I'm talking about Star Wars. Not to be confused with Star Trek, which by comparison is quite lame. Uh, then in the 90s and early 2000s, did I make a controversial statement? Okay. Uh, in, the, in the 90s and early 2000s, George Lucas uh, went back to writing, and he came out with three more Star Wars movies. And uh, there were certainly some mistakes made, like Jar Jar Binks, for instance. But for the most part, uh, these three movies were were pretty good, too. And so you had six Star Wars movies in total. And the reputation of Star Wars was hallowed. At least in my my, uh, opinion, it was. As a child, these were my favorite movies. Uh, We had one on VHS. uh, I think it was episode four we had on VHS, the first one that came out. And, uh, and I remember as a kid, I couldn't wait for, for the, 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 the one in 2005, I think, that came out. I, I was so looking forward to it and uh, just loved the Star Wars movies. Anytime they were on TV, I would beg my parents, can we please watch these movies? Now, in 2015, tragedy struck. Lucas sold his company to Disney, and they ruined the good name that Star Wars had. Uh, starting in 2015, they came out with three additional movies, each one somehow managing to be worse than the previous. They killed off the heroes of the previous movies. Uh, They tried to bring in new characters that were just terrible. The whole thing was an absolute disaster. It was uh, the biggest mess since Windows 8. And now there's The Mandalorian. There's a bunch of spin-off movies, and and they're just, they're terrible. The esteemed reputation that Star Wars had has been tarnished. That gives you a picture, maybe, of what the word hallowed means. It's your reputation uh, being esteemed and exalted. To have a highly esteemed reputation is to be hallowed. And when we pray that God's name would be hallowed, we are praying that God's name, his reputation, would be reverenced and loved and treasured. We are asking God to cause his own name to be hallowed. Now, how is it that this happens? How is it that God's name is hallowed? How is God glorified? Let's look at a few texts. First, Numbers 20. This is a familiar story where the uh, the children of Israel are in the desert, they're thirsty, they're complaining to Moses, wanting water. And Numbers 20, verse 7 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, 
and tell the rock before your eyes to yield its water. So you shall have, uh, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So God tells Moses, go to this rock and speak to it in, in front of the, the people and water will come out of it. Verse nine, Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. So God told him, speak to the rock. Moses instead struck the rock with his staff. And verse 12 says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses did not believe in God. He did not trust in God's word. God had told him to speak to the rock and water would come out. Moses instead struck the rock. And God says, by not trusting in what I said to do, you did not uphold my name. You did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. In other words, you did not glorify me. You did not hallow my name. And because of that, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. So we hallow God's name by trusting in what he said and obeying him. Isaiah 8 verse 11, the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you shall honor as holy. Or we could say, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. We, we honor God as holy. We hallow his name by fearing him. Uh, one more text on this. Leviticus 22 verse 31 says, So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. Okay, so we keep God's commands, we do them, we don't profane God's holy name so that he is sanctified among the people, so that he is hallowed. That is a picture of how we hallow the name of God. And so this prayer, in a sense, is what Jesus prayed in John 12, Father, glorify your name. I think we start with ourselves. We, we ask God, will you help me to glorify you today? Help me to hallow your name. Help me esteem you highly and treasure you. Help me to have the reverence for you that's fitting. Help me to uh, direct me as I live this day in such a way that everything I do would cause those around me to hallow your name as well. I don't want to profane your holy name. I don't want to be like Moses and not uphold the honor of your name. Help me to live in the fear of you and in the obedience so that your name is hallowed. And so as we begin each day with Father, hallowed be your name. Start with this attitude. God, would you help me? Would you help me to hallow your name? Would you help me to, to esteem you as holy and sanctified, set apart from everything and everyone else? And then pray this for others. Pray for your family, that they would hallow God's name. Uh, pray for your church, that, that we would hallow God's name together. I prayed this morning, God, help the people I'm going to preach to today to hallow your name. Uh, pray for me that I would hallow God's name. And then maybe go out from that and, and pray for your country. I can't think of much more that our country needs today than to hallow the name of God. If you look around you and wonder what's going on in our world, it's becoming more and more clear God's name is not hallowed. The fact that the House of Representatives uh, last week passed the Equality Act, if you know anything about that, an absolute godless thing to do. Uh, this is because God's name is not hallowed.
God's name is not hallowed in the White House. God's name is not hallowed in our government. Genders are confused and babies are murdered. Today in Canada, there's a pastor in prison today because God's name is not hallowed. If you want to pray for your leaders, if you want to pray for our country, pray that they would hallow God's name, that they would fear God and obey his commands. May your name, God, be hallowed. Now, why do we pray this way? Why do we start our day with this prayer that God's name would be hallowed? Again, I said, I'm going to keep reiterating this over these next several weeks. I think prayer is about getting our priorities in line with God's. Now, the model prayer is about God. It's not about you. It's not about you getting your way. It's about God getting his way. And we see that in the very first line. We are to pray daily, God, cause your name to be hallowed. Glorify your name. And I think the goal of this is that if you start off your day with that prayer, that, God, that God's name would be hallowed, throughout your day, you'll be looking for ways to do that. You'll be looking for ways to bring glory to God. You'll be trying to live in such a way that God's name is hallowed. Prayer changes me. It changes how I live. And I wonder this morning, how much your days be different? How, how much you live differently this week if each day you started off saying, Father, may your name be hallowed. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.